trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table Again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people Working on important issues here in Columbus And all around Ohio I'm Carolyn Harding And today I'm talking with Ohio Representative Erica Crawley from District 26 she recently put her name in for the Franklin County Commissioner spot, vacated by former Commissioner Marilyn Brown. The Franklin County Central Committee will vote within the month amongst six or more candidates, many of whom are highly qualified to take on this consequential political position. Erica Crawley is a state representative for Ohio's 26th House District, which is East Southeast Franklin County. She was first elected in November of 2018. Representative Crawley is a mother, veteran, and advocate. Her career has primarily been in the nonprofit sector, advocating on behalf of children and families. And in the legislature, Erica has worked on maternal and infant health, pay equity, prison reform, early childhood, and K-12 issues, as well as veterans housing and employment. She is passionate about community engagement, economic development, and ensuring that all children have the tools that they need to be successful in life. Representative Crawley is a proud Navy veteran and currently serves as the highest ranking Democrat on the House Finance Committee, the first Black woman to ever hold this position. She is the mother of 16-year-old twin girls, Hope and Faith. Welcome to Grassroot Ohio. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here this morning. You're in the progressive hot seat. We have 28 minutes and 17 questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. You're an elected Ohio State Representative. Why do you want to leave the legislature to become a county commissioner? Thank you for the question. Um, I would like to um, you know, get this appointment to the Franklin County Board of Commissioners because it will provide me with an opportunity to continue to build on the work that I've been doing in the legislature. As you noted, I have been championing uh, maternal and infant health uh, issues, housing and homelessness, um, as well as uh, K through 12 issues and really birth to five K through 12 um, initiatives. I wanna make sure that we continue to have a focus on those who um, feel like they have been left behind and I've been able to pass a number of uh, bills into law in a bipartisan way. I have secured millions of dollars to come down to Franklin County. And I think going to the commissioners will allow me to have a more focused um, way of impacting lives. So everyone has the opportunity to thrive and not just survive. And so that's why I'm looking to come down. I, everything I do in the legislature impacts 11.7 million Ohioans, but I think I can have a real impact right here in Franklin County, impacting 1.4 million people in Franklin County. As a Franklin County commissioner, what is your jurisdiction? What agencies, entities would you oversee, um, create the budgets or make an ordinances for? Absolutely. So um, the boundaries is all of Franklin County. Um, so that includes the urban core um, of the city of Columbus, out as well as um, suburbs and rural communities, including um, townships, which I think we have over 30 something townships here in Franklin County. Um, the agency, so the Board of Commissioners is the appropriating body for all county agencies from the clerk's office to the Department of Job and Family Services to the Sheriff's Office, um, you know, as well as 
was the county engineer's department. Um, so it is the administrative arm um, and the appropriating body. And they currently uh, operate a, a, around a $1.78 billion budget for 2021. And you're comfortable with large budgets and budgeting. I am. As you noted um, in my bio, I am the highest ranking Democrat on the House Finance uh, Committee, one of the most powerful committees. I actually sit on the state's controlling board as well. So as I'm currently negotiating in a $74 billion budget, anything that is appropriated um, to county agencies or universities or colleges have to come through the state's controlling board where we um, ask questions. They make a request for uh, dollars to be released. Um, me and my colleagues, it's only around six of us. We ask questions and then we decide on whether we are going to approve that appropriation um, or hold it. All right. Columbus is currently the largest city in the United States without any form of passenger rail service. And right now, transportation emissions are going up and wiping out all the savings we're getting from energy efficiency. We're not going to get a handle on carbon emissions in central Ohio if we don't completely remake the public transit. What will you do to transform public transit? That's a great question. So I resided in Atlanta for about eight years. And so having um, passenger rail or light rail um, has uh, is familiar to me. So coming here originally um, for law school and not having that type of service available was uh, as fast as this uh, city and county is growing. It was just unimaginable to me. And it still is as I, um, you know, well, let me just say, as I was in Atlanta, there was a lot of parking rides. Um, the uh, MARTA system went all the way out to the suburbs, down to you know the city center, um, and it just made it a lot easier for a large city that is really congested. But we see that happening now here in Franklin County as our population continues to grow, business uh, continues to come here. We have young progressive um, people who want professionals who want to come here, but we see the traffic building up. And so we have to make significant investments in public transit to make it uh, appealing to those young professionals who are coming here who want to get around quickly. But then we also need to make sure that our people who are less fortunate to have a vehicle or a primary mode of transportation can get to work, school, um, and to play. And the way that we do that is making targeted investments. And that's what um, me, as well as my colleagues in the Democratic Caucus was trying to do and convey to our colleagues across the aisle as we dealt with the transportation budget, which was the first budget um, that we ended up passing this General Assembly. So we wanted to make uh, significant investments in public transit specifically. Um, if you are familiar with last General Assembly's budget, we were somewhere around $70 million in investment in just public transit. Well, when we got the governor's executive budget, he had cut it all the way down to $7 million. I mean, if you talk to CODA or you talk to the Public Transit Association, we know that they need, just from the Ohio Department of Transportation uh, transit needs study, they need about $150 million a year to make investments to lower carbon emissions, um, increase our, you know, our footprint when it comes to energy, um, as well as um, allow transit authorities like CODA to be innovative in how they are getting people to and fro, as well as focusing on that last mile. We were able to bump up that investment somewhere to $129 million, um, but that was also GRF funding, but then uh, using flex uh, funds that we get from the federal government. So we have to continue to have this conversation around 
light rail transit, we know that there was a study before we used to have trolleys and we know that Amtrak is looking to come here, but we can't just rely on Amtrak. We need to look at as a county and county government, how are we taking care of people? How are we not just taking care of people to get where they need to go, but also being um, very smart about energy efficiency um, and what we uh, put in our air. Are you focused on transit on rail? I am. Um, that will continue to be a, a focus of mine. I think we need, I live on the east side of Columbus. So if when I'm leaving downtown pre-COVID, um, I could leave at 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock, and it was already traffic backed up. Um, and so I live right off of 270. So I take 70 east, um, live on the border of Columbus and Reynoldsburg. And I don't want to sit in traffic for a long period of time. And I don't want that many cars on the road either. That is, uh, you know, emitting things that we should not have in our air, especially when we have of, you know, black and brown communities that live right around the highways. And we know that that goes to um, negative health outcomes, especially for our children and, and asthma as one or clean drinking water as another. All right. Next question. Tax abatements create a race to the bottom and deprive our schools of much needed funds. How will you work with the city of Columbus and the suburbs to take a more regional approach to tax abatements and ensure the community benefits outweigh the reduction in tax revenue? Absolutely. Um, love this question. Um, so if you follow or anyone who follows um, me in the state house and the things that I vote on, I just uh, voted no on House Bill 123 because that allowed it allowed um, expand the expansion of tax abatements. Um, because as my colleague said, like we want to be innovative, we want to recruit businesses. And we do. Um, and we have been, especially here in Franklin County. However, we know that we have a, a funding formula, a school funding formula that has been unconstitutional for 24 years. So our state share um, of uh, school funding is not where it needs to be. So we are focusing on local dollars um, and we are looking for not just the burden to fall on us as property owners and property taxes, but the development needs to be there and their uh, taxes need to go into our schools as well. So as we have been in you know, looking for developers to come, attracting businesses. I think we have gone too far in giving out tax abatements and, and, and not having that revenue that we need here coming to our schools. Columbus is the largest school district in the state of Ohio. I represent part of Columbus. The schools that I represent are D and F rated. Some of them do not have air conditioning. Some of them do need to be remodeled. And so our, our children, lose out when we do not have that um, tax base coming back into our community. So I think that we have to have, we have to look at not just working with the city of Columbus and the county, we also need to be looking at our state legislators and asking them, how do we um, rein in the community reinvestment areas, um, which again, had not been updated since 1994. We just had a bill, one, House Bill 123. It is now going over to the Senate. We always, like, I get that we want to work for businesses, but the people is who elected us. And we want to, that's who I represent. My other colleagues on the other side of the aisle are business, 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 because they own businesses. But I do not. Um, I know that the people that I have in my district are some of the most marginalized. I have the district that has the lowest median income and that they're headed by single parent households. Our children need resources. And so we have to figure out all, all levels of government, how we can work together to rein in those tax abatements and continue to get that tax, um, that tax revenue because we do need it. We've gone too far. Agree. 
What changes need to be implemented regarding the Franklin County Children's Service foster care system that may have contributed to Micaiah Bryant's death? Um, I appreciate that. And my dog is barking in the background. I'm sorry, I'm going to have my daughter come and get her. So I think when it comes to Micaiah Bryant, we have to not just Micaiah Bryant. Micaiah Bryant is one who lost her life, but we know that there are other Micaiah Bryants. Um, and so when we look at our um, foster care system, our children's services system, we need to make sure that we have investments in families to stay together, right? Um, so we need to make sure that we are doing everything that we can to make sure that families are not um, torn apart. If there are allegations, and not even allegations, but when a, a, a family member or a parent calls children's services, it's not just to say, hey, I'm, you know, I have an unruly child, because that's usually what happens more often than not than abuse and neglect. And I think that's a, a misconception. But we need to, if a, if a mother or a father calls and say, I need resources, I'm having trouble, I'm struggling, we should be making sure that we help that family so that there won't be situations of abuse or neglect. Or if there is a child who is unruly, that um, they are able to, you know, get the things that necessary to make sure that uh, they can stay together. However, if there are situations of abuse and neglect, we need to make sure that if, if possible, that we can put that child with a, a family member or a friend. Um, and then when we do that, that that family member, a kinship care program, that they get the same level of money that someone in a foster parent or a foster home would get for that child. And we know that if a child has, you know, challenges, that there is additional money that will go to um, that foster family to take care of that child. That same thing is needed for kinship care. And so we need to have, um, we need to be looking at that. I think the other thing that we need to look at, which I just voted yes on the other day, is an ombudsman program. So that when, so if you look at Micaiah Bryant and her situation with her sister, um, they have called the police several times to get, um, you know, some help and support where they were currently staying. If there was an ombudsman program or an ombudsman um, assigned to that family, that when the police were called, the ombudsman would be notified as well. Or when um, Micaiah and her sister were experiencing um, difficulty and challenges, they can call the ombudsman who would be there. I think also we have, you know, we have CASAs or guardian ad litems who represent the best interest of children but they're not always available. And sometimes that CASA that is made available only checks in when there is a court case that's getting ready to come up or a court date that is getting ready to come up. We know that we need investment um, in our children at all times. We have to be looking at their best interest, not when a court date is coming up, but when the child is in a foster home and they need direct contact with that person so they can always say you know, what's going on and what they need. I can tell you will work hard for children in Franklin County. Yeah, so I used to be a CASA. Um, so I was a court-appointed special advocate for children. I used to volunteer as a CASA. That is one of the things that I was, I'm very proud of. I do a lot of volunteer um, uh, work. And so uh, I was a CASA volunteer while I worked at the YMCA Head Start Early Head Start program. But then I also, um, after I left the YWC, I mean YMCA, I then went on to work for CASA full-time down in Atlanta with the juvenile court. So it is something that is near and dear to my heart. And we felt Micaiah and we felt children every single day. Um, we know that there has been deaths in uh, while children have been in foster care, and we need to make sure that another, not another child dies um, while they are in our foster care system. Thank you. 
Have you been to the Franklin County Courthouse lockup and county jail? I have not been to the uh, lockup and county jail. I have been to the juvenile court and have been in conversations with some of um, the administration as well as um, security. When will you visit the county lockup and county jail? Um, I just had a conversation the other day. I'm looking forward to going um, to, and I know we're currently building a new facility uh, to I, I don't like to say housed, but when we have someone who is has entered the criminal justice system and they have to go to jail, we are building a new one. So I am looking forward to going um, to, you know, talk to those who are incarcerated as well as administrative staff. I know that uh, Franklin County has a pathways program, looking forward to learning more about that. But I do want to say as my time um, in the legislature, last General Assembly, I sat, sat on the Correctional Institution Inspection Committee. So I can go into any prison. Um, it's state prison within the state. I did not have to let them know that I was coming. I could just show up unannounced. I spent time at the Ohio Women's Reformatory and so um, got to speak with the warden, staff, as well as those who are, um, you know, our community members who were incarcerated. I have colleagues, activist colleagues, who have spent the night in the county jail and say the um, conditions are abysmal. What can you do as county commissioner to improve the conditions and to advocate? What do you advocate for the Franklin County jails? So one thing I think, um, and I have had a, a direct experience with this, and um, I had a neighbor in, in the district um, who had a federal holder, um, but was brought up on some charges um, here locally. Um, that individual had been shot nine times, went to the hospital, and then ended up going to the county jail. Um, he was not getting the medical treatment that he needed. He had a severe infection, um, and uh, his family member reached out to me. Um, I then reached out to um, my contact, uh, Lauren Rummel, who is a government liaison or policy liaison. I've worked with her um, in the legislature on a number of things when it comes to policy. I reached out to her, who reached out to um, the sheriff. I was on the email exchange, and they were able to provide um, the medical care that he needed. Um, that It should not have taken that. No. It should not have taken me contacting Lauren to contact the sheriff when they're when he was complaining about his health and felt like his condition was deteriorating his family members shouldn't have had to reach out to me um and so that was one experience that same individual a month ago um was experiencing the same thing the same family member reached out to me I reached out again to the county once I reached out he that same day was able to get the health care that he needed that is that that should not happen at all. Because had I not, what would his situation would, it, it could have been dire and he definitely could have lost his life. So as you know, we look at how we invest in our jails and our prisons, we need to make sure that we have health providers, healthcare providers who care and see um, our neighbors humanely. They are human beings who will come back into our community. They should be able to get healthcare and not just for physical health, but for mental challenges, as well as some substance use disorder. And so we that can start happening once they come into the criminal justice system. It doesn't have to happen when, it, when they go into DRC and go, go to prison, because we know that DRC doesn't have the capacity to provide what they need. One, we also have a shortage of nurses and um, mental health staff who even want to go into our jails and prisons. So we need to incentivize them, um, our healthcare practitioners, to want to go in and work with this population. Um, and how do we do that? We look at 
whether we um, can help with tuition assistance, um, loan repayment programs, or something like that, or increased wages, because we also know that we're competing with the private sector as well. Um, so I think those are some, some of the things that we can do as we are, as the commissioners are the appropriating body, and that we are building a new um, facility. Uh, we need to look at if we're gonna have a facility, how are we going to treat our um, our neighbors? Can they get the education and, and development that they need so they can come back in and be productive citizens? And also, can we help them with the things that chat was challenging them that even brought them into the criminal justice system? This is Carolyn Harding with Grassroot Ohio. And today I'm talking with Representative Erica Crawley. She represents District 26 in Franklin County and has put her hat or her name in the uh, in the hat to be the count next county commissioner position that Marilyn Brown stepped down from. We only have uh, eight more minutes, so let's make these answers short okay. and sweet. Ohio is a home rule state. Municipalities can enact law via citizen-led ballot initiatives. Columbus Community Bill of Rights is a charter amendment to give citizens a right to say no to oil and gas waste dumped in our watershed. Would you support home rule, letting the people vote to protect their water, even if state preempts local control on oil and gas? Absolutely. I will. Um, and I always say in the legislature, my colleagues love home rule until they don't. Um, and so if it's something that doesn't benefit them, then they, um, you know, tread on um, home rule and the, the voices of the people who elected them. I would support it, though. I support our neighbors um, who the voters having this a say our elected leaders work for the people. There are two brine bills before the General Assembly right now, Ohio House Bill 282, Senate Bill 171, both written to establish oil and gas waste as brine as a commodity. And this brine is very high in radioactive radium 226 and 228. As county commissioner, what will you do to stop spreading of radioactive oil and gas waste brine on our streets? Well, one, I know that um, one of the piece of legislation that was in the House is being pushed by um, someone who is a business owner um, and has an, uh, a, you know, personal interest in this. I think at um, the county level, one, we need to look at what we are putting on um, the, our roads um, and bridges and working with the city as a partner to make sure that if there are, there are other alternatives and we need to be looking at that. I also think that we have an obligation, which I continue to say to our um, elected officials that they should be coming down to the legislature at, and having their voices heard. That, you know, the people should be there as of course, because it is the people's house, but it doesn't stop elected officials from coming and advocating against these things that um, are harmful to our water and to our air. Um, I also think that we need to, I get that um, my colleagues across the aisle want to get rid of regulation. Um, they feel like it is a lot of red tape, but we should have regulation, especially on the things that are harmful to our environment. Um, and so I, I think that's what we need to do. We need to partner um, at our every level of government, but then elected officials should have their, their voices heard too. In 2019 SPAN, Single Payer Action Network, or Medicare for All, Ohio members approached the Franklin County commissioners asking for a resolution of support for Medicare for All. It's now HR 1976, but they refused. The county commissioners refused. Their message was, this is not something we have a vote on, so take it up with your members of Congress. What would you be your position on a resolution, resolution of support for Medicare for All as a member of the commission? 
Yeah, I think we should. Um, I, I definitely support single payer system. Um, a representative Skindell in the legislature has pushed this um, this bill. I just signed on as a co-sponsor the other day. Um, I, a, a representative Kennedy Kent also had this legislation a couple of general assemblies ago um, before I was elected. And so I do um, support single payer, a single payer system. I think if the rela- resolution came to the body, I have no support. I mean, I have no problem supporting it. Um, at all. Uh, And so, uh, but I've also said that when we look at single payer, we need to make sure that um, when we do have it, because I do believe we we will, um, hopefully sooner than rather than later, that we also don't create conditions where people um, are waiting long, long um, on wait times to be able to be seen for those uh, critical health issues like cancer and things like that. So I definitely feel like we, um, I would support it. I think we, everyone should be covered. How can you help end qualified immunity as Franklin County Commissioner? Um, So I think um, I would, um, as I've been in the legislature, have spoken very, you know, strongly around ending qualified immunity for police officers. I support my um, colleagues' legislation, Representative Thomas West, um, and pushing that legislation. And I think that is, you know, as we look at the sheriff's budget um, and look at how we see policing, I do think we need to reimagine it. And so I also don't believe that the taxpayer dollars continue to fund, you know, these uh, settlements that are happening when our um, enfor- law enforcement are violating people's uh, civil liberties and civil rights. I think that the officers should be held accountable, um, that they should not be able to get um, off because of this um, law that's in place or this protection when we know it has been used in abused. I think that uh, officers who violate uh, civil liberties and civil rights should have a stake in it. And whether we attach pension, whether they have to uh, carry insurance, just like I would in the in, as someone who has a JD and looks forward to practicing law, I have to have malpractice insurance. Doctors do too. And I think they need to have some skin in the game. It should not be on me and you um, to pay for something that we did not do. Would you support a minimum wage of $15 an hour as county commissioner? Yes. I think it needs to be higher than that. Um, just if we look at our housing wage and what that needs to be, I, I would support $15 minimum wage at the minimum, but I do think it should be higher. We still have women involved in survival sex being locked up while the Johns roam our streets freely. Instead of spending money in the state-of-the-art prison, why not create drop-in centers for men and our women? Will you support effective grassroots social services equally with the bigger nonprofits? Absolutely. Um, I think we need to stop criminalizing sex work. But I know that there are programs across the country that have focused on Johns and rehabilitation and addressing their issues that have even gotten them in um, to the point where they are, you know, purchasing uh, sex um, and putting uh, women's lives or just, um, you know, our people's lives in danger who are just trying to keep a roof over their head. I think we need to be looking at both. What can you do as county commissioner to influence more effective nonviolent community policing at a county level? And what is your stand on defending the police, defunding the police? 
Yeah. So um, one of the things that, well, let me start on the end. So my uh, thought about divesting from police, uh, one, if we look at the legislature, they have been divesting from or defunding the um, local government fund for the past 10 years um, to the tune of $2 billion. And so we know that police officers don't get training because they don't have the money to do it. And I know training does not, even when they have training, they still murder people um, and then they get off because of qualified immunity. So I do think that we need to look at how we use our resources. And I think we should have more resources that would go to our sheriff's budget or to police budgets to incorporate social services who are better prepared to handle, you know, when, especially those who have a mental health crisis. And we need to look at um, community organizations more so than relying on police. I would not call the police right now because I would be fearful that um, I may lose my life. And that shouldn't be the case for anyone. How do you define affordable housing? What income level or monthly rent rate? And how will you take a regional approach to affordable housing? And that's our last question real quick. And so we need to have a local housing strategy looking at um, elected officials um, and those who are heads of departments, organizations, grassroots organizations, as well as private organizations. We need to have a local housing strategy. And affordable housing is a housing that someone can afford without making the choice of putting food in, in their mouths and a roof over their head. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We'll get this out. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroot Ohio now airs on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRS-FM and at 4 p.m. on WEJPLP 107.1 FM. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.